You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Most gracious and ever-living God, I pray at this time, ultimately, that not my words, uh, but the living word, Jesus, your Son, would go forth. And I ask this, I offer this uh, in His name. Amen. I invite you to reflect with me on this portion of Luke's gospel, which is placed before us this morning, a a vivid parable which Jesus tells, a parable uh, on faith, uh, a parable on prayer, among other things. And in this 18th chapter of Luke's gospel, Jesus tells a number of stories, and not just the 18th, but sort of leading all up, Jesus tells a number of stories, and He has a number of encounters that are surprising, uh, seeming to turn the tables on our perceptions and the way in which we think we measure up and are made right with God, the way that we enter into the kingdom. We find those that would be considered um, front runners uh, coming in last and those who would seemingly be last uh, coming in at the front. And as we reflect on this, it's, it's a vivid story which Jesus tells, and Luke wonderfully gives us the punchline in the introduction. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. As I've prayed about this, reflected on this, I don't know, your, I'm sure your phone computer does this as well. You have the memories that pop up, the photo memories that pop up from time um, to time. And on my scroll um, recently, this is... Um, this is more about me than you perhaps want to know, but um, in my camera roll, if you were to scroll through all of my photos, um, you'll find very few of my family, but lots of them of my dogs. Um, I have sort of a, a camera roll full of, uh, of dog uh, pictures of my two, Maple and Bo, and uh, a memory came up recently from three years ago. And in Paula's and my relationship, one of the prenuptial agreements was that I would go with her family um, to Canada in the summers, and so I've been faithful to honor that over these years. And three years ago, we were up there, and Bo and Maple were, were with us. And one of the great things, it's mainly, it's rural, dairy farms, uh, and this beautiful uh, chain of lakes. And one of the great things, of course, um, I like it because the dogs like it. Um, and so they're able to run around and to do their thing um, out there. And one morning we were out uh, per usual and Bo ran off into the woods, which was not um, uncommon or disconcerting until um, he seemed to be taking a while. And then if any of you remember back in the day, the show Lassie, um, Maple, the younger of the two, suddenly came running out of the woods as if to say, Dad, there's trouble. Um, you need to come now. And so I followed Maple off into the woods, calling Bo's name, calling Bo's name. And as you might be not surprised, Bo was not interested in listening. Uh, and deeper and deeper, I ran uh, into the woods, into the forest. And then I turned and I saw Bo locked in mortal combat with something. And of course, was this a bear? Was this a wolverine? Um, Something um, dramatic. Of course, all the the fears flood in your mind at that particular moment. Uh, And it turns out, apparently, this at some point got personal. Uh, And uh, the next thing I know, it was a porcupine. Uh, And Bo reached down and grabbed the porcupine in his mouth 
um, and began to run through the woods, shaking it um, for all he was worth. And I'm chasing after Bo at a safe distance um, and telling him to put it down, put it down, uh, let it go. And of course, he is driven. He's determined. He's not letting it go. We finally get back out to the road. Bo shakes it a few more times. Uh, he drops it um, on the road at that point. And uh, long and short is that the porcupine was vanquished. Um, but um, the porcupine was vanquished, but it was one of those moments where Bo had won, um, but he had lost. Um, Bo uh, won, but he lost. And, and I share that with you because Jesus sets up this contrast between the Pharisee and the tax collector. And in the eyes of the people of Jesus' day, and you know, honestly, even in our moment, in our times, the one that we would expect to be the winner would be the Pharisee. He was an accomplished person. He was an honest person. He was a person that, uh, that, that took things seriously. He gave um, generously, and he brings this fantastic list um, to God. And of course, Jesus tells the story with, with absurdity that, that we might see, the absurdity of the Pharisee coming to God, and rather than listening um, in prayer, rather than offering in prayer, uh, the Pharisee comes and he offers his list of accomplishments, basically saying to God, aren't you impressed um, by all that I have done? Uh, the Pharisee considers himself um, the winner, but he's actually, in the parable, the loser. And of course, in contrast, the one that would very definitely be seen as the outcast would be the tax collector. And it's, it's rather simple, as opposed to the Pharisee who says, God, I, I thank you um, that I am not like other people. Uh, let me list my accomplishments. And I thank you in particular that I'm not like uh, this tax collector. And we hear that he looks upon him with contempt. And uh, as you hear this, if, if you're like me, you probably prefer to um, relate to the tax collector, to see ourselves in the role of the tax collector, the one um, who recognizes our need before God. But uh, I confess to you, and this is hardly a shocking confession, as I've read through this again and again, and as I've reflected on this, of course, one of the things I've thought is that, you know, thank God I'm like the tax collector and not the Pharisee, <laughs> which of course reveals the Pharisee in me, doesn't it? Because part of the, part of the honestly, uh, bad news but good news of this parable is that it reveals to us also we're, we're all Pharisees of some sort. Uh, we all, in some shape or fashion, there, there is someone um, or there is some group upon whom we look uh, with contempt. And what we see the Pharisee doing, which is the temptation for all of us, is that of comparison. Well, you know what? I'm not great, but I'm better than this person. Um, we all love to compare. We all love um, to puff ourselves up. We all love to bring our list of accomplishments, thinking in some way we can measure up, and this will contribute toward our acceptance by God are being considered righteous uh, in God's eyes. And yet, the one we are told that goes home justified, made right in relationship with God, uh, is the tax collector. And his prayer, of course, is simple. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He comes with a recognition um, of need. And that is 
clear, and in some ways that would be enough, but it actually says even more than we think it does, because the word which is translated merciful, there are a number of options, and the most common one uh, in the original language in the, in the Greek is aleo, and that's the one when merciful is translated, that's typically the one which is used. But here, a very specific word is used instead, and that word is halaskomai, and the significance of that is, is this, it's a word which is entirely specific um, to the offerings which were made upon the altar, um, the offerings uh, of the lamb for the forgiveness of sins. And so what the tax collector is actually praying is, God, make atonement for me, the sinner. What we translate here, what it really says is, God, make atonement for me, the sinner. There is the recognition of the need for God to be the one who makes atonement, to make us at one with Himself, rather um, than our um, putting together this list of accomplishments uh, and disciplines and activities in order to make ourselves acceptable to God. Uh, the tax collector realizes that God is the one who first pursues us. God is the one um, who ultimately makes us one with Himself. It's God's sacrifice which is sufficient um, rather than our own. I started off by telling you um, about Bo in that particular moment, but uh, the story um, doesn't end there with Bo's vanquishing of the porcupine because, as you might imagine, uh, as I say, he, he won but he lost, but then he was full of quills huge quills, tiny quills, medium-sized uh, quills, and they're everywhere. They're in his ears, in his nose, in his face, but he could not close his mouth. His mouth was filled um, with quills, and, and you can imagine um, all over um, his body, Maple clearly is the smarter of the two. She looked like a little dragon. She just had two in her nose, um, and so I pulled those out, and she was, she was good. But Bo, as I say, and I was worried. It's like, what happens? Does he go into shock? Is he unable um, to breathe? And I, begin, and I begin to, one by one by one, pull all the quills out of his tongue, out of his gums, out of his mouth, in order that he could close his mouth and then began to work on his uh, face and, and, and so forth um, and, and so on. And then, uh, um, my kids are used to this, y'all are, but then, um, so then I get all the quills um, out of Bo and I realize I'm giving him human characteristics that he doesn't have, but maybe, uh, maybe, just maybe he does. But I remember in that particular moment, after I got all the quills out of Bo, he looks up at me as if to say, dude, you're going to have to carry me. Um, he, was, he was done. Uh, I'm not exaggerating. He would not, he would not walk um, after that. He was done. And we were, I mapped it later, we were a mile away from the cottage. Uh, Bo was 80 pounds. Um, and so, um, as you might imagine, it took a little while. Uh, I'd carry him about 10 yards and I'd put him down. And I'd carry him about 10 more and I'd put him down. And so it was quite some time to make our way um, back to the cottage. And as I was carrying him back, of course, I wasn't telling him, Bo, I'm very disappointed in you. Um, I, I, I really um, expected more from you. I, I, was, <laughs> I wasn't berating 
Bo a dog um, for acting like a dog. Uh, and it was clear that I was going to have to be the one um, to carry him home. He wasn't going to be able to make it um, on his own. And I, and I hope that doesn't um, uh, sound um, too offensive by way of analogy, but that is the analogy of our being sheep uh, and Jesus being the shepherd, um, that we necessarily have to be those who are gathered up uh, and those who are carried. Uh, we don't make it um, on our own. We need Jesus to come and be the one who actually comes um, to gather us up um, and to carry us home. And not just in Luke's gospel, but throughout the entirety of Luke's gospel, Jesus tells story um, after story uh, of a God who pursues, of a God who sweeps us up, a God who picks us up, a God who necessarily um, carries us home um, to return him uh, to himself. Our offering um, in all of this, of course, um, is um, our need for God's salvation our need for God's intervention, uh, our need for God's redemption, for God to make us one with Him, not through what we can accomplish, but looking toward what God has accomplished for us uh, in Jesus. Uh, our offering in the equation is Jesus' offering of Himself. And what changes us more than this fear of punishment um, is the love and the grace of God that go out to you and to me unmerited. That brings about more change in yours and my life than all of the efforts um, that we muster up on our own, all of the lists of accomplishments that we put together, and we are saturated um, in the culture of performance. And the Pharisee comes with his list of performance, <laughs> and he misses the mark entirely. The tax collector comes with his need, and we see that he is the one um, who has picked up. He is the one who has carried home. At the heart of the Christian message is good news rather than good advice. It is the message that Jesus has stretched out his arms upon the cross um, for a world that showed little to no chance of changing. <laughs> one thing that folks up there told me uh, in relation to Bo and the porcupine, one of the things that they warned me about, they said, um, he won't learn. Given the opportunity to do it again, some of them have dogs and they've experienced this, given the opportunity to do it again, he'll do it, <laughs> he'll do it again. But we see that the change that the human condition, uh, that, that's so often true of us. Given the opportunity to do it again, we do it again. Um, we fall short uh, again and again and again. And that's why we have a Savior who comes in to rescue us, who comes in um, to carry us home, and who in the miracle of the resurrection and His grace and His mercy being poured out upon the world, the miracle of change and the possibility um, of hope uh, are born. In conclusion today, I've, I've asked in just a moment um, the, the choir if they would sing two verses. Last week, uh, it was, it's a communion hymn. It's a beautiful hymn. In our, in our hymnal, it's hymn 337. And the title of the hymn is Now, O Father, Mindful of the Love. And it reminds us that we need to be reminded again and again of the nature and the character of God and that what we have to offer in the equation is, is not our work and why Christianity is good news. What we have to offer um, is Jesus Christ and His um, sufficient work. 
uh, and that you and I are clothed in that. And so I'll ask them now if they would uh, offer that by way of a musical offering for us and that you and I might hear those profound words of good news, that which uh, transformed the life of the tax collector, the recognition of need and also the sufficiency of God. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.